Barbara Hanclough has finally felt it's time to speak up regarding the subject of disclosure after wanting to stay away from it for a couple of decades, and there's a good reason for it. She says the age of Aquarius is upon us, and it's demanding that we start having conscious cosmic awareness. We can't stay in our little hidey holes any longer. And that extends all the way into how we're allowing information to program us and getting out from under the influence of that kind of information because it's becoming much more draconian, demanding, and devastating by the moment. So without further ado, let's go to Barbara. Barbara, it's so good to see you again. Hi, Regina. Hi. It's good to be back with you since we can't see each other in person. This will okay. happen too. I agree. I'm seeing you in uh, probably in November. But what we want to do, Barbara, is you in your book, The Alchemy of Nine Dimensions, you spoke about the different types of beings, planetary beings and such, that have an effect on the various dimensions of our consciousness here on Earth. And our consciousness extends now. It has been validated that our consciousness and our ability to gather data extends all the way out to 9, 10, 11 dimensions of reality. So we need to get that straight because that they know that now, but when you wrote Alchemy of Nine Dimensions, this was still being played with a bit. So we're talking about the fourth dimension interface with us today. Let's first of all talk about just dimensions. A lot of people don't know what dimension slash frequency even means when you talk about the third dimension and fourth dimension. So give us a little primer to get started. Okay. Um, we live in the third dimension, which is linear space and time, and we're solid. And then below us are two lower dimensions. The um, inner core of the earth is the first dimension. And the second dimension is the tectonic, telluric, and microbial realm, which is below the surface. And then the fourth dimension is, is kind of like a big umbrella or canopy over the third dimension and over the two lower ones, obviously, also. And the fourth dimension is the realm of the collective mind. It's the realm of the architecture archetypal um, realm and it's also a realm of very strong mind control because it's emotional and uh, it's a higher frequency than the physical and so it affects us in all kinds of ways when we're in the third dimension which is where we're located where we don't always exactly understand what's happening and then above the fourth dimension there are five um, higher dimensions that humans can interact with and that's the fifth through the ninth dimension and um, those dimensions are actually the dimensions that we're um, attempting to evolve um, into at this time, and we're attempting to contact those dimensions a lot more at this point. And so doing that involves going beyond the fourth dimension and getting out of that, that collective mind consciousness. It's also a world of duality, a world of the dark and the light. And so the upper high, the, the five higher dimensions, the fifth dimension is the opening of the heart. And the sixth dimension is the um, realm of sacred geometry by which all things are created on the earth, including our the integrity of our physical bodies. The seventh dimension is the dimension of sound, which picks up cosmic consciousness in the universe and transmits it into consciousness, which then goes into our understanding of geometry and into the heart. And then the eighth dimension is the divine, and a lot of people, of course, call that God. But it's a realm of high moral order, which affects ethical issues. Um, for us uh, in the third dimension on this planet. And then the ninth dimension is interesting because it's a dimension of time. 
And it actually is best thought of as a dimension that transmutes ideas and issues and evolutionary levels into the divine mind, which then transmits it through the dimensions down to us. And that ninth dimension is where we actually get the um, kind of the, the real impetus for the issues that we're facing, such as what we're facing right now. Right now, as you know, we got together today to um, talk about disclosure. And this is actually means that the ninth dimension is actually impulsing us now to deal with what's actually happening on our planet. You know, what's interesting, Barbara, is people, as you just gave the hierarchy of this, it sounds like it becomes more refined as you go. But a question that keeps coming up is if we're being interfered with by a reptilian influence from the fourth dimension, that doesn't sound like it's a, on a consciousness scale, higher dimension than the third dimension. So how do you explain that to people who say, but it's the fourth dimension is higher? Yeah, that's absolutely the most intelligent question you could ask. Because the confusing thing about that, everybody's curious about the reptilians, right? It's been it's gone on and on and on. And I basically have the level of discussion about it has been so ridiculous that I pretty much haven't had much to say. I have plenty to say now. And the, the reptilians are actually very second dimensional. Because according to the, the, the fable, the story of our, our universe, and our, especially our Earth and solar system and galaxy, the story supposedly is that the reptilians came from some other location way out in space and that they were the first ones to colonize Earth. And this creates a very interesting dynamic uh, that really needs to be discussed today regarding what's going on now because there's a big struggle going on with the reptilians and a lot of other um, dimensional beings in the universe. And what happened to the reptilians is that they eventually went underground. And there's all kinds of stories about when that happened and how it happened. And I don't think we need to get into those details very much. But they went underground and um, into the inner earth, or at least they went under Antarctica. I don't think it's really clear exactly where they're, whether they're in both places or in one, I'm not sure. But they're under the earth. And the interesting thing about that is that it means that they're operating very second dimensionally as well as fourth dimensionally because they are grand um, beings. Um, these are beings of, of consciousness, just, just as we are. Um, the issue with them is they're very stuck in fourth dimensional consciousness. They're very stuck in a struggle between dark and light and good and evil. And they've tended to have a very negative influence on many, many people on this planet, because a lot of us are actually kind of beyond that duality and we've um, resolved a lot of those issues that block us emotionally and throw us into the dark and the light. And so we're actually working from the heart and we're working from these higher levels. And so now we're into a great big struggle with being trapped by this fourth dimensional good and evil conflict, as well as the issue of the second dimension affecting us. So Barbara, in this, I have, you have commented that this 4D interference can affect us more on a mass scale, while it doesn't necessarily affect our individual everyday life. So explain that a little bit to us. Yeah, that's a really good point, because not 
everybody in the third dimension is being affected by reptilian mind control or reptilian violence and negativity and all that. Um, all of us have the ability to be in the heart and to work very carefully in our lives um, to live um, ethically and to make good choices. And if you live that way, you really aren't prone to fourth dimensional um, mind control and negative influences. But all of us are influenced by the collective because the collective is part of the reality that we live in. If, if for example, everybody got locked down, um, whether you were another, higher dimensional or not, if you know what I mean. And so the fourth dimension has a huge impact us, on us in, in, in the collective, very big. Okay, and also it works oftentimes through media, through military, through governments and so forth. Yeah, it takes um, all our tax money and uses it for stuff we don't want them to do, right? Yeah, exactly, and that is a global issue. Uh, so we don't have to like point fingers at nations at this time. So looking at it, so looking at it from this perspective, our journey here in this conversation is to look at the notion of disclosure, the age of Aquarius, um, how ancient civilizations uh, very naturally honored and depicted their ancestors from the stars, shutting it down. I'm just kind of hopscotching through. We're going to talk about it. Hopscotching through and even down to disclosure the, uh, about a month ago. Well, it was about three weeks ago. Not really. A non-disclosure disclosure out of the Pentagon. Nonetheless, better than nothing. Uh, essentially, you're suggesting it might have been to see the reaction of the public. Because it was so bland, it didn't get much of a reaction. Most people were like, yeah, we already know we're not the only species out there. It was really a very muted response. So let's start here, because in your book, you talk about this with the church, that the part of the plot line is the Pope has to decide whether or not it's going to be, he's going to let it be known that the Catholic Church is fully aware of contact with ET species. So let's pick it up from the book and why you put that in there. And this is Source, the latest of your trilogies, mm -hmm. your trilogy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we have to divide that in, on two levels. First of all, Source is fictional. And what happens with the Pope is fictional. It's my imagination attempting to imagine his reality. But if we take away the fictional aspects and we just look at the issue in 3D of whether the Pope knows about extraterrestrials and contact with other worlds and all that, we start with the fact that the Vatican has its own observatory. And if you look at some of the things that some of the cardinals have said in the last 20 or 30 years, um, they're more advanced regarding um, human contact with um, beings in other realities and on other planets and all that than anything we've even heard from our own government. So clearly for them, it's a theological issue. And if you think about it, it is a theological issue because if we are not alone, and if we're not the only species um, inhabiting the third dimension on Earth, then it completely changes our relationship to religion and to deities and to contact with higher beings, doesn't it? Yes. So it's a theological issue. So you can count on, I would say this, I, I do have a master's in theology and I've been deeply involved with those levels in the church for 40 years. And I think you can count on the fact that they're having constant discussions and meetings about this issue and attempting to understand the best way to handle this, or maybe the worst way, because <laughs> also there are other issues, like there's a lot of signs of a lot of reptilian control right within the Catholic Church. 
And so my whole trilogy, um, the Revelations trilogy, goes deeply into priestly sexual abuse. Because if ever there was a reptilian um, line of cruelty and, and evil behavior, it's priestly sexual abuse. Absolutely. And that would be, uh, disclosure would be a wonderful deflection if they were to use it wisely to cover up some of these other uh, much more, much darker issues that the church is having to deal with now. Yes, I've covered up for so long. And as you say, this planet has been experiencing contact for at least 100,000 years. So go ahead and give us a little historical perspective because this shows up in the the pictographs and such of ancient, very ancient cultures. Well, according to some of the best um, uh, uh, extraterrestrial contact and other planet um, researchers, um, a lot of them think that we've been in contact with other worlds for even millions of years. And I think there's a lot of evidence for that. In my case, I have a strong data bank over the last 100,000 years, which is the Paleolithic era. And this is the, at the period of time when the species, which we've become now, um, developed art, developed contact with the heart, developed high consciousness. And I believe that through almost all of the Paleolithic era until about 10 or 11, 12,000 years ago, I think that people were involved with profound cosmic uh, communication and involvement with higher beings throughout the whole universe. And then um, in my own work, I wrote a book called Catastrophobia. And the basic thesis of catastrophobia is that our planet went through a solar system cataclysm that affected the earth very deeply around 12,000 years ago. And that at that point, our consciousness was very much uh, shattered and we became a multi-traumatized species. And we seem to have lost our ability to be in cosmic consciousness until now. And so this is an incredible moment in time. It's amazing to be here at this moment on the planet Earth because we're remaking our connections and remaking our links. And the complexity that we're faced with is, number one, we have to start thinking that way and experiencing it and getting in touch with how it affects us and what it means to us. And then we also have a very serious technological crisis um, developing because there are big questions about whether many, many of the other um, civilizations in our universe have been turned into robotic civilizations by these reptilian uh, beings as well as there there must be other negative you know, entities way out there all over the universe, like in our case, in our solar system, our big problem is the Draco reptilians. These are reptilians originally probably from the Draco star system, which is up there on our North Pole. So we, we've got a lot of things to deal with right now. And if you think about it, it actually involves becoming conscious of all nine to 11 dimensions and understanding what they mean for us. Yes, and in this, as, you, as you're talking about religion, um, you mentioned in a note to me some recent comments by the former NASA astronaut, Joe Allen, that were really kind of set you off on this 
which he's not the only one saying. It's quite interesting. You just brought up a couple topics, and then this one bridges it, and that is the notion of uh, people needing some, the religions becoming fragile, cracking, and uh, the revelatory information about the dark side of the religions on this planet. That's, that's done. This, this is revelation, so to speak. And then looking at this uh, rise of this technological age, which is leading to AI, which I think concerns most of us. How far is that going to go beyond our positive uses for humanity as individuals? And Joe Allen was kind of, art, uh, he, he was bridging that, saying where there's a void, there needs to be something we can put our faith in, look up to, put above ourselves because we have been created uh, over the last 12,000 years to put uh, others above us in terms of guidance, you know, whether it's the Anunnaki Old Testament or, or whatnot. So how does this come together in Joe Allen's mind? And then I know you can hark back to Carl Jung as well. And starting to look at this, this disclosure as a newly emerging religion bridging with technology. Yeah, well, it really did set me off because um, he seems to be, and I don't know him, all I've been able to do is read him, but he seems to be really worried that as the religions collapse, which they definitely are, that then the next thing that will happen will be um, that the extraterrestrial gods will become our gods, um, as they did like with the Anunnaki yes. in 4000 BC in Sumeria, for example. Basis that the was, yeah, the Sumerian, um, uh, the people's adoption of the Anunnaki as gods, then created Sumerian and Babylonian religions, then that evolved, that rolled into Judaism, and that rolled into Christianity and Islam, and so it's a whole long lineage. And so he seems to be really worried that that's what's going to happen now. And I have a completely kind of opposite take on it, although I agree with his concern. My take on it would be that for 100,000 years, as far as I can tell, or maybe millions of years, we have been cosmic and we have been multidimensional. And therefore, through most of our cellular memory, we would have a profound, deep comprehension that the fourth dimension is only one dimension, and the eighth dimension, by the way, is, is the dimension of God and the divine. And we would understand that that dimension simply has to do with helping us create ethical uh, relationships with everybody in the universe. And it's not about being controlled by something superior to us. So if we can just open our natural multidimensional consciousness, and Regina, I'm sure that this is possible because the latest research on the human brain um, that, that was really flooding in in, tw in 2015, and then it was so revolutionary that it, it's like a lot of big data banks that show up, often things are suppressed. And what I'm referring to is the Blue Brain Project. And I haven't even been able to get very much information on it because it's so suppressed. But the Blue Brain um, Project actually created computer topological maps of nine dimensions in the human brain. And each one of these nine dimensions has a different topological map. Now, what's topology? Topology is a mathematical uh, way to deal with the geometry of shapes. And so it deals with spheres, it deals with curv curvical uh, uh, 
surfaces, um, deals with parabolas, all those kinds of things. Very complicated form of mathematics. And by using that form of mathematics, they actually have been able to show what the brain registers from a geometrical point of view in all nine dimensions. When that came in, I flipped out because that is telling us that our brains are wired to read the nine dimensions of consciousness that I described in Alchemy of Nine Dimensions. In other words, that's how our brains work. That's how frequencies function. And so as this opens up, no matter how intense it is, we have the brain structure and apparatus to access that. And therefore, I think we will. I agree with you, Barbara, and you can already see this in uh, our daily lives. You can see people uh, around you, around us, and you can surmise almost what kind, what dimension they're most strongly relating to in terms of uh, actually behavior, even behavior. You can tell by the way someone feels and the way in which they speak. You can tell that they're actually resonating from one dimension or another, and I love the way you put it. That was so clear and beautiful, and I'm really glad that you brought the Blue Brain Project into it. Um, so now looking at what you just said, you disagree with Joe Allen that people aren't going to go there because we do have these openings into other dimensional fields of information. But here on Earth in the third dimension, the military, Pentagon, and others might still be trying to foist a bit of a fear scenario on us, even fear of others, including ETs. And that's that was kind of, that was some of the information that, that went out there around this disclosure with the players involved is, well, they could be a threat to us. Well, they've been around forever. They, they, haven't, they haven't done anything to us that way yet. So this is the divide in the UFO community and the disclosure community. You have Stephen Greer and his work saying, no, these are benevolent entities, and if we could only learn to play ball uh, cosmically, we could all share information, technologies, uh, consciousness. And the other saying, oh, nope, they can move faster than us. These devices, we can't meet these uh, speeds and such yet, so they must be a threat. So let's talk about that for a moment, and then if you would please launch into a SERPO. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, so what do you, what question do you want to ask about? I think the first question is, we seem to have a dichotomy of people who want ETs as our potential collaborators, uh, allies, or even saviors, and those who want to create weaponization in space to make sure they can't attack us and we can somehow remain safe. So maybe comment on that first, and then we'll go yeah, to the hidden information of Serpo. Yeah, the people, people who are stuck in a fourth-dimensional mindset and people who work in the military and people have to deal with conflict and potential war, um, it's pretty hard not to be pretty stuck in that, uh, in that um, mindset. Although I've been seeing some fantastic military people on CNN. Some of the military people are really going to higher levels because they're already seeing that we've hit a dead end um, of working with um, planetary politics the way we have been. And also, by the way, these military people are also the ones who actually, according to uh, Len Caston, the author of Serpo, according to him, 
and according to Michael Sala and different ET investigators, supposedly um, our military and government has been working with the reptilians in some cases on different, in other words, there's different levels of reptilians. Some of them are really just murderous and others are just very um, scientific. And so um, if, if this dialogue and encounter stays at the fourth dimensional level, there is a tremendous risk that people are going to just get trapped into feeling like they have to defend themselves. Then I would say that the logical stuff anybody ought to go to is can somebody show me some signs that the military has been doing anything to defend me? Um, can we show, can we take a look at what um, happened with the creation of the hydrogen bomb and what the Americans did to the Japanese? And so what's happening within the military itself is a, and, and this is interesting, Regina, because many, many people who have been um, visited by extraterrestrials say that the main reason the extraterrestrials who visit them say they're here is to get us to stop uh, nuclear technology. They say that the tech, nuclear technology on the planet Earth could literally destroy the universe. And so, so there's, you know, this is a wide spectrum on who people want to relate to. I can't say that I'm all that anxious to relate to a whole bunch of extraterrestrials, but if they should appear and if I need to have a meeting with them, I'll, I'll do that willingly. Um, and I think that's another issue altogether. Maybe some of us have to be more comfortable with the fact that we have our dimension and our world here. And if someone else is visiting with us, it's usually through consciousness, it's usually through, um, through uh, you know, kind of, you almost can't, see, I've had a few visitations and you almost can't see them sometimes, you know? So I think we've got to all be more comfortable with this. And I think people are becoming more comfortable with this, especially people go, who go down the line in terms of age. I agree with you on that. That's my observation as well. It's like, huh, so what? Of course, we, we accept that. I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. Now, you brought up a couple of things that are I, I want to go two different directions with because... This whole notion of ETs passing this message on to humanity, you got to stop this nuclear stuff, this, uh, this kind of aggression. This is disrupting us on a universal level. <clears throat> I think that's been hard for people to understand. The, the notion that setting off a nuclear detonation has a multi-dimensional effect, not just one on our planet in that localized region. It's not just about people ending up with, you know, cancer in the next generation. This is affecting multi-dimensions of reality and beings. And I don't know who better to speak to that than you. Well, I think that's a really, a real tough concept for people to hold on to. For me, it makes perfectly good sense. Um, the uh, atom was flipped soon after I was born. And this has been an issue for me my whole life. I've always known that it was a wrong turn. And I don't know whether people have done it in other systems. We have evidence 
of nuclear um, technology on this planet back in the Sumerian days, according to Zachariah Sitchin. So on this planet, it may go back quite a while. But I don't know whether this exists in other places in the universe. And I am willing to respect the number of extraterrestrials who have come here to try to reach humans, who have in some cases crashed their spacecraft and lost some of their people trying to reach us. I think we've got to listen to this very, very deeply. I agree with you. And I have, uh, I just not long ago interviewed um, Jacques Vallée and Paula Harris on this exact issue of that crash in New Mexico that f followed one month after the first nuclear detonation uh, in Trinity, New Mexico. And it appears that the, the ETs have been showing up all around the planet over military bases um, since then. Uh, that's really what kicked it all off and issuing these warnings, as you say. Now, yeah, going back. I just want to interject that one when that crash in Roswell, the main crash, one of them survived for four years and was in communication and interviewed um, with people in the military where, where that, per, that being um, shared a tremendous amount of love and concern and information for people who want to get into this. It's fascinating what that being had to tell people in the military. But what's even more fascinating, of course, is the journey to Serpo. That, that is by far... The what? Huh? The journey to Serpo. Um, oh, yeah, the journey to Serpo. We're going to go into that. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> where, what sources did you use um, regarding the, the interviews they had with that ET from Roswell? Where is that information? Because people want to start digging into this. Yeah, and I'm not that well-read in this area, by the way, so I've only found a few, and the two best ones for me have been Michael Caston's books. And, I mean, excuse me. Um, Len Caston. Yeah, Len Caston. Lender yeah. Caston's book. And then Michael Sala. And, and those have been the two best sources for that issue. And then, I, as I understand it, there are hundreds of books yes, about there are. Roswell and what happened with Roswell. So it's a question of whether somebody's curious about that or not. So Barbara, you have mentioned that if the Pentagon floated this information out and humanity went into a fearful response, that this could perpetuate the response we've had in the patriarchal society of Pisces in through for 2000 years in through the age of Aquarius, because we're not meeting it and handling it in the correct way right now. What do you mean by that? Well, um, I think it, it, the way it's going may not be all that incorrect. Um, one of the things Len Caston has done in his books in a really fabulous way he, is he's shown a series of uh, people who were fed information by the military and by the government, su such as Steven Spielberg, um, who then Steven Spielberg, once he got the story of Serpo, which we're going to talk about, then he, he made a film called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And this is a very important film because it really impacted millions and millions of people. And what goes on in Close Encounters of the Third Kind is actually a real story. It's a true story. And when I saw it, I recognized 
that it was a true story. And my husband actually got really mad with me because he thought I was completely nuts to think <laughs> it was a real story. But I knew it was a real story. I could tell. And Spielberg did that in such a powerful way that a lot of people could feel that that's a real story. Yes. So we actually, have, all of us actually have more understanding of how this is actually exists out there and how this works out there then we realize, I think what most people are lacking is a good comprehension of what the military industrial complex and corporations and the Nazis have been doing with the reptilians. And that's the really hard data bank for our governments and for the military, because the truth of it is, our governments and military have been deeply involved since the 1930s with um, the reptilians and with um, building technologies of bases on the moon, bases on Mars. And we've been lied to. Our tax dollars have been taken in order to fund all of these black military projects. And it's really hard for somebody you know, to disclose that they've been lying, um, the governments have been lying for 70 or 80 years, and yet that's the basic upshot of this thing. So the reason I'm so fascinated with Len Kasten's book about Serpo called The Journey to Serpo is because I think that that is a compelling story and is a very, very good way to start. With uh, I agree with you. Yeah, I know. Book, I interviewed him a few years ago on that book, and I found the story fascinating. Of course, because we're in this age of information, misinformation, and disinformation, no one knows what to believe anymore. So you really have yes, to go right. on your own discernment. Yeah. Yeah, this is a really rough field to try to <laughs> to try to establish any kind of possible. Um, it really is, but it's a fascinating book. Talk about why it, it struck you so deeply. Yeah. So, well, it strikes me so deeply. <clears throat> Let me just put the story in quickly. Um, if you go back to Closer Contest of the Third Kind, you see 12 um, astronauts dressed in orange or yellow suits who are on the verge of, you know, going entering into this huge, huge spaceship that's going to take off. Well, it turns out that we started communicating with beings from Circle, and they're, they're called Ebens. And we started communicating with them um, either right at the time of the Roswell crash or soon thereafter. In fact, I don't know whether anybody's ever said that that, that even that lived was from Circle, but I think we can probably assume that he was. So we started communicating with them, and, it, it's in, and Kasten's book describes this long, arduous process of trying to translate. They have a different language and a different consciousness, and it took linguists and code experts and all that like years to just be able to communicate but when we finally reached the point where we were able to communicate with them then we proposed they proposed that we take a mission to their planet because they had already been coming to the earth uh, for a number of years in fact they had a had a mothership and maybe they still do somewhere around the orbit of earth where they were sending those little silver um spacious uh, saucers down down to the earth itself. And so a, 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 the proposal was made for um, the Evens to pick up 12, 12 American astronauts who'd be very carefully trained for this and take them on a journey to Circle. And this is all described in Kasten's book, so I won't go over the details. But what's important 
is that they were there on Circle, a planet in the Zeta Reticuli uh, star system, for 12 years. Two of them died during that time. Three of them decided to stay, and the other ones came back and had their minds wiped, which is an army technique for wiping people's memory data banks. Now, this, these are 12 Americans who gave, they were, who gave uh, 12 years of their life to find out about the even culture and about the even people. And three of them became so endeared of these people that they actually stayed there and never returned to Earth, which is just incredible in itself. And why don't we know about that? Yes. And, and, and then, yeah, and then what really captured me, being basically a theologian, is the Evens have a Bible. It's called the Yellow Book. And they gave it to Earth as a gift. And of course, the military snarfed it up, and none of us have ever seen it. But in the Yellow Book, apparently, is a story of their religion that sounds very much like Judeo-Christianity, very much like Christianity. And so intuitively, as an artist, in writing Source, which is my third book in my trilogy, I headed down that direction with a Jesuit priest who thought that Jesus was from an extraterrestrial source. And I didn't tie all those things together, as you know, because you've read the book. I just headed in that direction. But now I'm beginning to realize that probably what's going on here is that Jesus may have come here 2,000 years ago, just as the people from Circle have been recently, and he may have come here to found a, a religion of love and compassion. But what happened with the contemporary culture in the fourth dimension and all that is that the real story of Jesus got chewed to ribbons and became the basis of Roman Catholicism. And the issue for me would be, unlike uh, uh, Joe, um, what's his last name? Joe. <laughs> I'm, Joe Allen? Joe yeah. Allen. Yeah, Joe Allen. Sorry, I've got too many trains of thought yeah. going here. So unlike Joe Allen, I would say that maybe the age of Aquarius is going to be the realization of who Jesus really was, and then the establishment of a Christ Christian religion on this planet that's based on love and compassion instead of violence and control. Absolutely. I mean, that would be the desired outcome is that we finally begin embodying those things that are have been written about for the last few hundred years several hundred years even almost a couple thousand years and in your book uh, one of the characters named sarah um, it does historical research on the ebonites can you talk about that yeah well that really fascinated me because in ruby crystal that's the first book in the trilogy and the second one's aquarian age in ruby crystal sarah's doing research on the ebonites and she's a catholic um, by birth. And then her husband, to, who becomes her husband, Simon, is, is a Jewish uh, New York Times reporter. And he's really fascinated with the Ebionites too. The two of them are just fascinated by the Ebionites all the way through the trilogy. Attempting, they just know that there's something about that group of people and what happened to them that's very fundamentally important for Christianity. So then when I hit Len Caston's Journey to Serpo and heard about the Evens and heard about their yellow book, I began to put two and two together. And now I think I, I really begin, I'm beginning to see what's going on here. And I think we're going to see an awakening 
Um, I don't know how it's going to happen. There are there are groups on the parent the planet apparently who follow Ebionite religion and have websites and all that kind of stuff. So maybe some of this will come through them. The only part that's coming through me is what happened with my characters, with Sarah in particular. And as you mentioned a while ago, um, we each have that potential to open up into that eighth dimensional field and to the ninth dimensional field and to the ethics and the morality and the heart-centered care for one another, for the planet and such. That's within each one of us to do. Um, and sometimes we just need to be shown what's possible and shown the way. And that's really why we're having this conversation. And it's a really, it's a, it's a strong warning away from these other dire messages and from the world of uh, technological advancement to the extent it's affecting our consciousness, which is pretty much every day. Most people who interface with technology at all are being sold to and spoken to uh, on subconscious ways, but also consciously manipulated. Before we sign off, let's just talk a little bit about what we can do to start dampening the effects of reaching into our minds, stopping this kind of control, and then opening ourselves to these more sublime dimensions of consciousness. Well, I'll throw in an interesting one in the hat. There's, there's always the obvious one about learning to not fall into duality and good and evil, because once you're caught in this good and evil paradigm, then you're stuck in 4D. But the really interesting dimension in this regard is the ninth dimension, because the ninth dimension, you know, rules all these issues of the time codes that are unfolding from an evolutionary point of view. For example, we completed the evolutionary um, code of the Mayan calendar in 2011-2012. And people have been floating like, well, where are we now? And if you, if you were following the Mayan calendar um, timing, you were in the ninth dimension while you were doing that. And I found myself getting high as a kite <laughs> on Mayan um, calendar um, information. Well, if you start to enter into the um, disclosure and the opening to the cosmic dimension, I think that's what's on the time clock now. See what I mean? It shifted. It finished. That evolutionary level finished itself. And now the cosmic level is, is, is the real issue in terms of timing. And so the more people can open to it, play with it, maybe go see a, a, an old copy of Star Wars or whatever, I think the more that you're going to find yourself in a place that feels better than this fourth dimensional entrapment and the lockdowns and the manipulation and get your jab now you know we've, we've got to pull ourselves out of that by the way that's very reptilian i've never seen anything as reptilian in my whole life is all the tv images of people's arms being jabbed i find it absolutely disgusting offensive on every level yes. I do too offensive. yes <clears throat> so barbara um I love where you're coming from on this. We all have the uh, ability to do this. I'd even like to say, in fact, I think tonight our little family will watch their, their uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind again. And also Jacques Vallée, who co-authored Trinity with Paula Harris and talk, talking about all of this. Um, and 
even on a more political and governmental level down to the meeting of the young witnesses in the in New Mexico in the day 1945 but he is um played in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He's represented by the actor of uh, Francois Truffaut. That's, that is Jacques Vallée. Yeah, so, I know. I love it, that, too, because I love Francois Truffaut. <laughs> I love it. So this is going to yeah, be... Yeah, I do, too. I love that. So we can all take a, a dive back into a family night of uh, film entertainment with Close Encounters of the Third Kinds or some others, but to understand that this is our potential to have collaboration, peaceful collaboration with other species. We don't need and to. And Jacques of course, is an excellent source on extraterrestrial um, questions. It's just that it's hard to get his books, unfortunately. But he's it is hard to get his books, but this one is a new release. It's only been out for, what, oh, a month? Really? Oh, good. I didn't know about that. I'll check that out. The best kept secret. It's uh -huh. brand new. They're just making the rounds right now, so a lot of people don't know about it yet. Uh, I thought it did a beautiful job in it. Very, very articulate. So that's another resource we can go to. So any final thoughts on this, Barbara, um, beyond what we've already had to say? And I also, think it's so to never, go ahead. Yeah, I think it's so important not to buy into fear, and everybody already everybody says that. But it's for me, it's a practice. The minute I notice anything fearful creeping into my thoughts and all that, I just stop everything and I work on it until I get it out. We just can't be fearful because the point of being here is to enjoy every, every moment of our day and our night and to also just be there with the love that we have. Because the love on this planet, sometimes I wonder if no other planet has love the way we have it. I have no way of knowing that, but we sure do have it here. I agree with you. And to put ourselves beneath other species as being superior, this isn't the game we're playing here, should be playing here. We are our own unique species, and I agree with you. I have heard from other people who have had contact with extraterrestrials over the last several decades saying one of the things they're most amazed about is our incredible imagination. Yeah. The way in which we create just for frivolous purposes. It doesn't even have to be for purpose. So our imagination, our love, our care for one another. I personally, I have great respect for humanity considering the pressure we've been under in particular to be anything but our best. I think we still, we still a very beautiful species among species. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So with that, Barbara, this has really been an enlightening conversation. You've given a lot of food for thought here. And of course, your trilogy um, is, I just, I just loved it. I really came to know the characters. I loved the setting in Italy. And I, I really appreciate the intensity of where you went because you had to live it. Uh, in order to draw this out of yourself, you had to go and live this. And I talked to you during the time you were writing it and you, you gave it everything this is very intense to bring this uh, story of the final of the trilogy source through uh, just a quick comment on that before we sign off yeah well thank you and um it is it has been the deepest experience of my life because the point of the trilogy is to have the reader experience characters who are multi-dimensional and i think i achieved that and then you can get in touch with your own multi-dimensionality by getting in touch with them and i think i achieved that especially in the third book couldn't agree more having read all three you did it 
So congratulations on that, Barbara. After 40 years of writing nonfiction, what are you going to do now? Now that the fiction's over, are you going to go back to nonfiction? Um, a book is coming in on, on how to maintain soul contact, which is, the, which is another key to how we can handle this whole situation. But I'm, I'm not sure that it hasn't already been written well by other people, so I won't do that unless I feel that people missed things. Then I'll probably do it. Otherwise, I might just um, have a good time um, promoting the trilogy for a change. <laughs> In other words, I had, every time I finished one book, I had to go on to the next one. And I, I couldn't, you know, as you know, I couldn't, wouldn't even talk to you very much no. of all things. <laughs> so maybe have a little fun, rest, enjoy your days for uh, a minute or two before you get on to the next one. And Barbara, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be with us. And I think your piece of this story is really important. So thank you. Thank you, Regina. Okay, again, everybody, you can go to handcloud2012.com to see some of Barbara's more recent articles and see some of the videos and what she's up to. You can also pick up her books at amazon.com, including the trilogy. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com. <laughs>